Welcome back, everyone. Main Stand Podcast, Season 3, Episode 2. Match Week 1 is behind us. Uh, the Premier League is back in full swing. We've got a couple of things to talk about this week, boys. How are we feeling after the first week of games? Good. Just happy the, just happy the Prem's back, man. Also, Mitch, i got to say, the second take of the intro, I think, was better than the first one. Yeah, I know. I was between I was I was between two minds. Technical difficulties, still not a logistics podcast, but we're here. It's three seasons deep. You think after three years we kind of get it down, but absolutely. Yeah, the technology still fails us, but uh, we're, we're getting there. Really, but no, the, I'm... <laughs> the the technology <laughs> is still getting us indeed. <laughs> Oh, maybe we need an editor or something for these. Okay, let's just like start talking about football. So we the longer we the, the faster we start talking, the easier it is for us to just like ignore when the technical stuff happens between my shit internet and uh Mitch's time management skills were a mess. Anyway, uh we can the, the first thing that I think we all want to speak about this week and think it's only right with uh Josh having to put out two emergency press conferences. We're lucky we didn't get a third uh, with all of this stuff. So the the Caicedo and Lavia transfer saga. Um, as Liverpool fans, and, and now that also this has just kind of closed its, itself out with it looking like, well, Caicedo's confirmed and, and Lavia is pretty much a done deal. I got the Fabrizio Romano, here we go, mm-hmm. that he's going to be a Chelsea player. Um Josh, why don't you kind of take us through the order of operations when when because for a while it was just you know Liverpool were getting Lavia and Chelsea looked likely to be getting Caicedo. Where did it kind of take a turn? Can I take us through? Give us an abridged version of that, and then Mitchell, after Josh has done that, you guys can kind of have a, a chat about your thoughts where where you think Liverpool kind of stand now. Sure. So late Thursday evening, I, I think, is when um, the Casado to Liverpool rumor started heating up. And like a lot of Liverpool um, transfers, the business is done really quietly. Um, and I would say it accelerated pretty quickly with, with Ornstein getting on it um, late Thursday night. You know, t- Twitter was just kind of exploding with activity, too, just around the transfer, obviously with how big it is being a British transfer record. Um, I, I think late Thursday evening, too, was when the Ornstein tweet came through about the, the deal being closed. Uh, Liverpool winning the behind-closed-doors auction with Brighton, um, beating out Bayern and Chelsea, which I think was impressive. Showed a lot of ambition from Liverpool to even uh, put out a £111 million bid um, for a player that has just over 40 caps in the Premier League. Really bold, really aggressive from Liverpool. And I, I think... Caicedo's team showed some indication that if the offer was big enough, there was going to be a chance. Um, obviously, we, we know now that you know Liverpool are used by by some you know way, shape, or form by his team. But that was what we were looking at um, Thursday night. Ornstein even said the the medical was scheduled in Merseyside, and then we wake up Friday morning. You know the, the players having questions about it, and everyone is kind of getting conflicting reports, which is when things kind of started going south. Um, The reporting was so different from every source, which made this one a little bit hard to follow. But eventually it became clear that the player didn't want to come to Liverpool. Um, So it was out of our hands, and Chelsea was the preferred destination. I think from that point on, there was really... There was obviously little kind of... um, 
I would say peaks where we might have thought we were back in it, um, especially where Chelsea was kind of delaying and we weren't sure if they were going to be able to come up with a suitable structure for Brighton. Um, but obviously, you know, they figured it out. Um, and Casado's a Chelsea player now. So that that's kind of the factual part of it. And I'll let Mitchell start with the, you know, the opinion or, you know, what he actually thinks about it. And I have some things to add on the back of that as well. Yeah, I, I, I just think it happened all so quickly. It was almost, it, it was like, it was, it was very back and forth for me personally, whether, whether it was like a positive thing, the more I thought about it, I, I was like, okay, 111 million for a young player who has put out a, a solid season and a half of premier league football. I was, I was ecstatic. I was all for it. Um, really anchored that, that Brighton team for a couple of years. And then we start getting the never wanted Liverpool agent being wishy-washy I'm kind of glad now that it's kind of done that we didn't spend the money on a player that didn't want to be here in the first place. Um, but it does suck from Liverpool's perspective of being such imperious transfer market, you know, players. We've we've been very clean historically when it comes to announcing transfers, getting news out, arranging medicals, getting things done. And this kind of it's definitely an asterisk on on our transfer um kind of tactics i would say yeah yeah i don't even know if it's an asterisk as much as it is like a, a black bad, mark a bad trend i would say in our in our business i think yeah. business has started to go south in many ways and you know the back half of this window especially the the beginning of the window went great for us getting McAllister in just days after the season and, and Saba's lie out of nowhere um but Starts to kind of poke holes in the George uh, Schmatka, you know, tenure at Liverpool as sporting director this summer, because I think it shows that the club really had no plan. Um, obviously, they didn't expect to lose Jordan Henderson and Fabinho, but at the same time, to not have any, you know, backup suitable options and losing out on Casado is one thing for me. Uh, that doesn't really bother me. Um, if he wants to go to Chelsea and make more money, live in London, so be it. A lot of players do. Um, Lavia is the one that kind of really stings because yeah. we made him feel like a second second option. That actually came out today in a news report, which is the reason he's you know preferring Chelsea and going to end up wearing a blue shirt. Um, and I think that just kind of points to a general misdirection of Liverpool's transfer business and just an unreadiness on their behalf. Um, and now we've played our cards at the poker table in the sense that everyone knows we have $110 million to spend and need a left-sided center back, probably a left back, and two midfielders. Um, so it's tough in, in many different directions. Again, Caicedo doesn't bother me as much. Yep. The Lavia one is really, really hard. Um, and now Especially we're after stuck th- with few options. We're talking about Florentino Luis, Andre from Brazil, uh, Ibrahim Decore. Sangare. Yeah, Sangare is another name being thrown around. Obviously, Kefren Thuram, uh, Manu Kone from Borussia. So the name, the short list isn't very long now. We, we've saw names go past us. And what's frustrating about all this is that this could have been done earlier in the summer. Uh, if you're going to throw around $110 million, that's great. It's a great sign of ambition from the club and the ownership. But at the same time, 
where were we with Declan Rice a year ago when Arsenal were starting to tap him up? You know, Jude Bellingham has huge wages and agent fees, but the same kind of principle goes there. Why aren't we working on these players sooner? Because um, now we're, we're pretty much stuck and everyone knows where we are. Everyone knows our hand. Um, and it's the first time in a long while that Liverpool's been kind of made to look like the fool of the transfer market. Yeah, I think it's tough for you guys, man, especially not getting the Lavia deal in. But, I mean, just touching on Caicedo Lavia for a quick second, away from the Liverpool stuff, because, I mean, I think you guys are you guys are down bad right now. Uh, I wasn't convinced by your midfield at the start of the season, and I'm really not convinced by your midfield now. But a midfield I am convinced by, and I'm really interested in seeing how it gets on, is – the Caicedo, Lavia, and Enzo Fernandez midfield three. The, L- feels the LFC, like, LFC midfield. It, it feels like it'll be it'll be Chelsea's first choice midfield once Lavia finds his feet. But that's a really really good midfield three, uh, and I, I think that it could really rival cities for for the best midfield in the league if they get on correctly on paper. I think it's it's just a, a recipe for success. Uh, just you know. What do you guys think about that? Do you think it bodes well for Chelsea? Do you think that they could actually do what a lot of people expect them to do and have a pretty good season? Or do you think that they'll be more more gelling, more rebuilding necessary, even with how good those three should be on paper? I, I think it'll be good. I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I, you could totally be right with this, Pat. I think that they're going to go with a, a two with Enzo and Caicedo. I think Lavia, which is tough for Lavia that he's choosing us out of principle, because I don't think he starts for Chelsea in reality, especially Enzo looked phenomenal this weekend. Um, and Caicedo's obviously, they're not going to bench a $120 million player. Um, and I think they're bringing in Olise to kind of fill in that kind of gap in between midfield and attack. So I'm not sure Lavia actually plays. I do think if they bring Olise in, I think that pretty much becomes one of the more dangerous midfields in the Premier League for sure. Does, does Poch not play like that? I remember his the at the end of his time with with Tottenham and a bit with um, PSG when he was there. He played a like a midfield three with like an advanced ten, which in this case would probably be Enzo as like a, a roaming three eight, and then sure. two two DMs, two sixes. I think if he goes to that approach, I remember at at Chelsea or not at Chelsea. Wow, at Spurs <laughs> he played he played that system with. It was like Kane, Lorente, Son in the hole, and then uh, two, I don't remember the two midfielders they had then that played at the CM spots, Sissoko and someone, but I remember him playing a three a lot for Tottenham too. So I think it's an option for Chelsea. And if he goes back to the system that he saw a lot of success with at the time of the Prem, I think they can be really, really good. Um, yeah, good deal for Chelsea, unfortunate for Liverpool. Uh, Mitch, do you, you still think you guys are going to win the league? At this point, it's going to be what happens in the next two weeks. Um, I I think we looked fine. I think it was a step in the right direction. Obviously, not a win-the-league performance on day one, but it's a long season. If um, if we can start scoring goals and Mo Salah puts on a player-of-the-year performance from the wing, I, I think it's still possible, uh, pending a couple of signings to shore up our our depth i i would have to say i respect your commitment to that i really do yeah Uh, i want to get ahead of the like the downtrain too i mean while it's so stupid business from liverpool and it's like 
kind of reminiscent of like what Man United have done in years past. Um, Liverpool also like against Chelsea. It's like we've I think we've tied them five games in a row coming into this game. It, there was like 438 minutes of no scoring between Liverpool Chelsea. Yeah. So it's like going to the bridge on day one and drawing in that game isn't like the end of the world. Something to keep an yeah, eye on. Yeah, that game on. had like draw Mitch written said, all over it. Yeah, like Mitch said, what happens in the next two weeks, we're going to monitor it. Um, but the kind of story of this episode is kind of Liverpool's business and uh, hasn't been good and so it far. Been, no, it's been no. pretty shit. It, it's uh, been, no, it's been Michael terrible. Edwards era. Uh, but outside of Liverpool-Chelsea, I think you guys really summed up. I don't even think we, that's a game worth talking about. Unfortunately, uh, from match week one, it was kind of a stinker, uh, a, a moment of brilliance from Salah, and then a pretty okay goal from Chelsea, and the game ends 1-1. Uh, ben Chilwell making me not regret taking him out of my FPL team like an hour or two before <laughs> the deadline closed, because uh, he scored two goals and pissed me off, but they're both offsides, so that's fine. Uh, he's he's back in now because uh, of Tyrone Mings. But, I mean, we can start right there with what, for me, was probably the game I was looking forward to most this weekend that I think a lot of eyes were on it. Not for Tyrone Mings' Aston Villa, but for Newcastle's new team. And, man, did they look good on match week one, guys. Uh, Tonali has passed the Italian in the Premier League allegations uh, with flying colors. He looked unbelievable. In that Newcastle midfield, I think I think if Isak continues to play the way he's playing and Tenali just you know keeps on moving forward, I think this Newcastle team could do bits in the league this year. Um, so you know, what do you guys think outside of that? I mean, I, I my my two cents is Tenali's really good. I think Villa will still be fine, and uh, Isak's probably going to be the guy to rival Holland for the Golden Boot if he keeps playing the way he played match week one. I know it's a, it's a super early thought obviously, but uh, Isak's always been super talented. I've rated him the minute when he came to Newcastle. I thought he was a great signing, and this feels like it's going to be his year. Just, you know, if he keeps playing like that match week one. So, uh, thoughts? What did you guys think about that game, or did you think it stunk and you wanted to talk about a different one? I liked it, personally. I I think it was kind of written in the stars, almost. It it felt like this game had 5-1 written all over it, uh, and mm -hmm. it, it's, especially when Villa has two ACL injuries in a matter of like 72 hours to two of their top players. It's not yeah. an ideal situation to be in. Um, and it took all the, the breath out of the game uh, for Villa. Uh, just mm. led to a, a very, long tough, first, yeah. very long first half. And I think they just couldn't maintain the shape after. I, uh, went down. For what it's worth, the announcers kind of talked about this for a while in the game. Uh, Sandro Tonali really wears that shirt well. Looks like I wanted to say that. They were sucking him off for like 30 minutes in that I mean, first the half. dude could work at Dolce & Gabbana. He is a, he's a beautiful man. He wears that black and white kit uh, quite nicely. Went to Spoons after the game? Yeah, that was an incredible, incredible uh, <laughs> story. Shout That's out, Shout out Spoons. Um, yeah. <laughs> the other game I kind of wanted to touch on is uh, Brentford Tottenham ended two all um this one's interesting because i think it kind of points towards the general direction of where tottenham is probably going to go this year i think james madison kind of showed his instant impact to this side kind of contributing to the first goal um but tottenham were 
pretty pretty wide open at the back i would say and you know in general i think not having kane is going to come back and kind of hurt them even though they scored two goals here um but yeah tottenham kind of starting out opening day with a draw against a a lower table side is not a great start um i'm not even gonna try to pronounce the, the manager's last name but not a great start to his era at the club mm, no i completely agree um I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Josh. I mean, you can you can say, uh, you know, Tottenham were a one-man team and all this stuff. You know, Guardiola famously called them the Harry Kane team at one point. Uh, I don't – it's tough because, like, you'd think that them being able to, like, spread the wealth and get other players involved a bit more in the attacking third would be a good thing. But, like, ultimately – Harry Kane is the guy that like could get you that third goal mm-hmm. in that two, two game against Brentford. Maybe Harry Kane scores the goal to make it three nil before they start collapsing. So they only, they still win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When, when Tottenham are like riding the highs, Kane can get in on the scoring, you know, he's yeah, he's not really, you know, I have my opinions on Kane. He, he, I don't think he would have won them that game. I think he might've got them the third goal before the collapse started. And I think that's really going to be the difference for Tottenham this year is, the work Kane did in just scoring when you were supposed to be scoring goals. Um, I think it's going to go a really, really, it went a really long way. And uh, I think Tottenham are really going to struggle. Uh, any other, uh, you know, any I, other games we want to touch on before we want to talk about refereeing? Cause I know we Monday's game. We can talk about refereeing. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, I don't think horrible. so. I mean, the only other game that I I watched that was like really fun to watch was the the Brighton Luton game. Yeah, that's just because Brighton beat the shit out of them, dude. Yeah, yeah, no, that was it, it was yeah. scripted. Loved it. Yeah, yeah they're Luton they're really good. Be really bad. Oh, it they're gonna be weird. twenty-five points max. It was weird as fuck seeing James Milner in a Brighton kit, though. Yeah. I can agree. Uh, I guess the only other quick things to touch on too, just like super fast. I'm not. We don't have to go into them super in depth this yeah. this episode. Maybe next episode. Uh, City convincing as always, uh, and Arsenal giving me as a City fan faith that they're still not going to beat us to the title because they looked terrible after that first Nottingham goal went in. Yeah, they held on in one two one, but it's good to know that they've still got that little bit in them where they they just don't. Uh, there's a, a podcast and a, that I listen to. Uh, I think they're called Pitch Side, and uh, there's a dude on there who who says that Arsenal have a soft underbelly, and uh, I agree. And I think this game kind of showed that. But that's really it. Uh, okay, so was it? Wait, was this a fever dream or did Timber tear his ACL? Uh, he has an uh, ACL he, injury. Yeah, meniscus okay. damage. Yeah. Okay. Not a fever dream, believe it or not. Okay. Lots of ACLs, but anyway. Refereeing. Um, so, I mean, we knew going into the season that there was going to be some uh, changes. Yeah. The way yellow cards were handed out to the way that your dugout was allowed to act as a coaching staff. Um, and there were also going to be rules to what you can and can't say to a referee as long as added time. Uh, overall, match week one, uh, I think every single change has been terrible. I don't think the games need to be longer. I mean, yeah, it's a little strange that the EPL is only averaging like, what, 48 minutes Mm -hmm. of average time for the ball being on the pitch. That's a little bit of a problem, but I think that comes down to a plethora of things. 
Um, and the yellow card rules suck. I mean, like the McAllister yellow, yeah. I think is a prime example. Um, dude got scythed down, asked for a yellow, and then he got one. I mean, the guy that was that killed him got a yellow, yeah. but getting a yellow for that is like it's ridiculous, man. Um, and then the be started on Monday's game. A lot of time wasting uh, yellows too, for what it's worth. Trent got a a yellow at the end of the game yeah. against Chelsea too for time wasting. But yeah, Monday's game was Walker a, got one. a wild one, and that's obviously the most controversial one of the weekend. Um, we talk about refereeing on this podcast a lot, and day one, or, or match day one, something big happens, which was a, a collision with a new goalie, Andre Onana, um, and players from Wolverhampton. He he really just kind of full-bodied air-tackled them. That's a, I've seen Ederson give those away. That's a penalty. Nailed on penalty, and, and they didn't even look at the monitor. Uh, and, which is crazy to me. Yeah. It's a tough. It was scene. the same, same thing with Emmy Martinez. Well, Ram- what about the this this in the same game the no handball call too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you, you can decisions. like he's he's like going to bring it into his body, but he like leans towards the ball and then brings his hand to the pe- to the ball. It doesn't matter that he's trying to bring it in he's leaning towards the ball and he brings his arm in. that's a handball this, you know what this I mean? isn't this isn't natural i don't care what direction you're moving you chicken wing yourself like that it's not natural yeah. and that was I mean, yeah, the but one we... that happened in liverpool chelsea as well but the andre onana collision i think is the one a lot of people have a problem with and it's a big reason why that same officiating crew got dropped from this coming weekend's games um, which is nice that the Premier League, I guess, is taking action. Still not nice that you probably didn't let Wolves have a penalty in a one-nil game that, you know, could have very much changed the result. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to say uh, tentatively for this week, uh, Premier League referees are on fraud watch. And I know for a fact <laughs> that that's ironic because they're terrible. Uh, so they'll be on fraud watch for the remainder of the season uh, until I'm – comfortable just calling them complete frauds which you know come back to me during match week three and i'll probably be ready to say that yep yeah it's gonna be a quick turnaround on that i think uh we just need better refs in the premier league we're the best league in the world but have somehow the the worst referees and and that is an issue easily begs to differ no true that is uh that's it for match day or match week one i guess though um like I said, it's early days. A lot's going to change here. Uh, don't hold us to our hot takes because we're we're probably wrong. Um, the the good news is <laughs> hold me have... to mine. Hold <laughs> me to mine. I'm not a coward. Hold me to mine. Um, good news is we have some in person content coming soon. Um, we're going to be getting together here. Um, Scheduling is just going to work out for us better on the weekend, so we do have some stuff coming for you guys in person. Um, we'll be at the zoo as always in the coming weeks, and uh, we look forward to chatting about the prom with you guys absolutely much appreciated thanks for tuning in to season three episode two this is the main stand podcast we'll see you next week bye